On TV Concierge, The Ringer staff delivers a guide to the vast streaming landscape by discussing one show or movie per day, including premieres, the latest surprise Netflix hits, periodic check-ins on favorite TV shows, new movies available for streaming, and the host's favorite shows to watch right away. Check out TV Concierge exclusively on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me on the other line, he's never met a food fight he couldn't win. Dandy Greenwald! Am I in for it today? I definitely want to discuss your behavior uh, last night on Twitter, Andy. It's okay. going to be a grab bag episode. I think we're going to do a little bit of just like some some reader mail. We got some uh, some stuff that we've been watching that we wanted to go over. We have a little bit of like an in-between week where... There's not a lot of ton of stuff, you know, Generation uh, premiered on HBO Max, but there's not a ton of stuff to go over. I'm watching Bear Town. You're not. Uh, you, we, we both started Le Bureau, so we could talk a little bit about that. Oh, we're and then, going to. You know, we've got uh, Falcon the Winter Soldier next week. So there's a lot of exciting stuff on the horizon, but this is a little bit of a, a grab bag episode. And it comes, I'm pretty tired, you know, because last night, mm-hmm. I was trying to do a little self-care. I just stepped away from my devices for a minute. and. Respect that. I uh, I got a, a bat signal. I got a, a flash message uh, alerting me that I needed to return to the crisis suite. Uh, that there was something afoot on Twitter. Was one had one of your operatives gone rogue? Well, I got to the to the crisis suite. <laughs> Everybody put all the info up on the team. I said I needed to see uh-huh. a twenty four hour feed, uh-huh. and then I realized that the target was Jason Bourne, <laughs> in the sense that you were the target. Yes. Well, the issue was that I had gone off my chems and replaced them with the creams, specifically the cream cheeses. The cream cheeses, yes. Yes. <laughs> um, explain a little bit what happened yesterday on Twitter. I just think that y- y- this was a real like swan dive into the abyss by you. Let me just begin by saying this will be the most wholesome conversation ever begun by the question, why don't you talk a little bit about what happened last night on Twitter? That's true. <laughs> that is. <laughs> this could go that, a, lot, a lot of different ways for you. That is our generation's, I'm just going to go look in the basement. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, nothing good generally comes from that, but okay. But you, Fine. okay, go ahead. First, I'd like to preface this by saying, maybe, and I don't, I'm not one to psychoanalyze myself. Uh, <laughs> okay, let me pause for laughter. Um, but, you know, the other thing that happened yesterday, and I do think it's relevant, is I stumbled upon a hard drive that contained many heretofore lost images mm-hmm. of my life, our, our shared life, the beautiful life we made together in that bungalow. But basically, like I found a bunch of old pictures that I thought had been lost to the sands of time, including some of 
your boys, I speak to all the audience, yeah. you know, in, in, in haler and hardier days. And I sent some, some, I thought heartwarming images to Chris of Chris, uh, at a, at a very different point. In at various life. universities across the Eastern seaboard in the mid nineties. Yeah. And, uh, and, and various bar rooms, mm-hmm. tap rooms, burlesque Saloons. houses yeah. of, of New York city. And, you know, you were, you were not in the crisis suite at the time. You were, you claim you were in meetings. I think you were watching golf. And no. I think we all know what that means. <laughs> so I was like, you know, I, I, I put some stuff out there. I need some feedbacks, some feeds back. I need it. So I think psychologically that may have been in the mix. So you were already in a, in a, in a sort of vulnerable place. And obviously this week has been yeah. um, really notable. We have the $1.9 trillion stimulus coming through. <laughs> um, you know, yes. uh-huh. uh, Blake, Blake Griffin is on the Brooklyn Nets. Mm. Spring training is is in full flight. The, right. the baseball is coming back. But what, what really has kind of captivated the nation mm. is uh, another article about where good bagels are. Okay, so clearly, once I'm going to have to start posting some of these images on Instagram because that's the only way I'm going to get the reaction I need from Chris. But putting that aside, that's fine. Yeah, so you guys know that while I masquerade as a semi-engaged pop cultural podcast host, um, and a story, you're my a time, storyteller. Ultimately, you're a storyteller. I am passionate about storytelling. That's true. Um, and working on various projects, what I really care about is uh, food and how it's uh, consumed and also covered by the media. And there was an article, yes, in the the gray lady herself, the New York Times, and it had the most clickbaity headline Im- imaginable, which was basically the good bagels are in California, sorry, New York. Mm-hmm. And this created, you know, in, in a small way, the kind of uh, tempest that uh, Twitter thrives on and that is seems to be generally harmless because it allows people like Mayor Bill de Blasio to like cape up and, and get indignant about something that doesn't really matter anyway. Right. I have an opinion about this. Stronger opinion about this than Beartown. Apologies. You, you also but, did the like, you checked every box in the mm-hmm. like, is this man about to self-immolate on social media in front of my eyes where you were like, really? I, I, I pre-apologize for this if it gets people mad, plus mm-hmm. added to which thread. Like, this will be a long yeah. thread. Well, so you went full resistance Brooklyn dad Twitter on this. I mean, I wasn't, it wasn't off the cuff. I mean, our good friends in the Bay Area now allow you to pre-write the thread. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wasn't just firing <laughs> darts, you know? This wasn't me on Funk Flex circa 04. This was not off the dome. But basically what, what, what I got, there were, there were two things happening. One is that this article was written by Tejal Rao, who I've never met, but I think is just, and have, have for a long time, thought was one of the best food writers out there. Um, I also thought, as is often the case, the headline did a disservice to the article, which was thoughtful it and was. made some interesting points about yeah. why certain bagels are good or interesting or maybe different in California. But also, and maybe you can tell me which side of this is a more interesting conversation for this Thursday, but I kind of just wanted to pretend it was 2010 again, and you could splash around in Soch, and uh, it would generally be a productive or healthy experience. You just wanted to live tweet the Linsanity. I, that, was, that was a great time. You know what I was thinking about the other day? You know it was a really fun time for me on, on Twitter? There was one time when there was a freak 
thunder hailstorm in New York City in the middle of the afternoon. And everyone was just like, just tweeting about it. I got stuck somewhere on University Place, you know? And everyone's like, this is, it's a lot of rain, also some hail. It was a great time. It was a more innocent time, but it was a great time. So I kind of felt like bagels are about the right level of engagement, but also, you know, maybe could, could I make the, the, the world link arms, like, if you will, a baked product in a circle. You thought that you were bringing people together here. Yeah, because, yeah, because uh, also I had strong opinions about it. What were the, what was some of the, what was the general response to your thread? Well, I would say the general response was supportive and positive. Perhaps the most interesting and or worrisome or maybe emblematic of uh, 2021 thing is that immediately, it wasn't so much that Twitter blew up, but my, my text blew up from many concerned people who were aware that I was uh, extremely online briefly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was... <laughs> it was just funny because you were like, I just felt like, you know, really engaging. And it's just, it's just such a weird time in human history to be like, this will go well. I'll just throw out a controversial opinion on Twitter. I guess it wasn't even that controversial. No, I was you like, this article like, is good. Yeah, bagels are like, good. This is a good article. And you were also like, the average New York bagel is superior to any other average bagel. Right. Right. But it is itself pretty average. It is average. And whereas like the top of the line LA bagel, is that what you're saying? Is better than. It could be better. What I'm saying is like, this is what the New York Times was saying, was that uh, there is more interesting things happening here in terms of pushing the bagel conversation forward. And partly that's due to like four or five like artisanal shops in Northern Southern California that she highlighted. But it's also. Shout out to Maury's. Yeah. But, but it's also Maury's where the watch, very, very warm reception at Maury's Bagels and Silver yes. Lake, a wonderful establishment. We should say that. I think I've told the story before, but the very kind and wonderful woman who works there often when, when I'm there, first time I went, asked if I was picking up bagels for you, which I thought was so sweet because it suggested that we cohabitate, <laughs> you know? Um, yes, but also that I don't think was being discussed that... New York, both because it's kind of hidebound because everyone expects a certain thing, but also because it's extremely expensive and you can't just like rent a test kitchen and whip up some interesting wild yeasted everything bagels and sell them at a farmer's market to the degree that you can do it here. That's all. Okay. But, but, but also Chris, you know, I, I, I think what we're really seeing here is, you know, I, I've just been, I've been muzzled, you know, by the left-wing media <laughs> and cancel culture. Uh-huh. And I'm throwing off my shackles. So on you the go to Substack? I care about. <laughs> Are you going to start a Substack, ba- a bagel Substack? We'll see how this goes. I have a sense that this is not going to be among our highest rated for toppers in our nine years of podcast. But like, I really just want to talk about food issues. That That's interesting to me. You know, when, I, I do want to, I want to say that you can't talk about these things just as in a vacuum. Part of okay. what makes this food so integral to people's lives is the way in which the food is an extension of your life in the place that you are in. Yes, right? sure. So for me, when I think about bagels in New York City, mm-hmm. I think about needing um, carbs to soak up 63 Miller High Lives uh-huh. and whatever else was happening that night. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I feel like, I feel like there's nothing like that, that infusion of pure bagel to kind of be a, a, a wedge against destruction and oblivion that next mm-hmm. day. And in the same way that I feel that way about pizza. Like when I'm like, when we have like these conversations about like, we're like, we're the gourmet pizza. I'm like, pizza to me ultimately is like the thing you grab on the run 
and you're yes. like Miles Teller and Whiplash just like inhaling a slice on the corner and then like a cab drives back and you're like, I'm walking here. You know, like that's like to me, like the, the, that the famous real conversation. That Miles Teller gives in Whiplash. Yes, it's I my, that. Yeah, it's my favorite part of Whiplash. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so you see what I'm saying? Like, you know, a lot of the times these conversations are about like, you know, water content or like who's doing what. And I'm just like, but part of it is also like, you don't really have that kind of lifestyle in, in L.A. No, it totally doesn't exist here. I think I was saying to you the other day that like if we had unlimited funds, I feel like it would be worthwhile to invest in just a bodega on the east side where you could get like egg on a roll. You know what I mean? Like you could just get something reasonable yeah. in the morning here. That stuff that doesn't really exist because the culture is different. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I these are all very personal memories and people's I tried to I tried to touch on that in my thread I don't know if you got to part nine <laughs> I could show you my drafts folder there, were, there there was a pizza digression at one point was it really maybe but yeah people have the sort of imprinted like Proustian ideal and it's generally what they used to eat or what they used to have but I, I I also wanted to try to hint at what you're saying which is like there is the utilitarian workman like like you can get a perfectly okay bagel Mm-hmm. In within a three block radius of almost every, any place in New York City, which is great. Are those the bagels that I'm going to bring home like hot in a bag and like be so excited to like share with family who are all potentially not hungover at nine in the morning? No, no. Like there is a place that is, and I mentioned in the thread, this place, La Bagel Delight, which I think is in some ways like the best of New York because yes. it's just like, uh, it's, it's just like 19 guys named Sonny all <laughs> screaming at you, but being very, very, very nice and thorough about it, you know, and it, it, it moves like a symphony. It's incredible. Yeah. And I don't think their bagels are that delightful, but it is the single best uh, hangover antidote that I can remember. Yeah. And I love it for that reason. And I love the place. So yeah, there, there's, there, there's a lot here, but I do think, and I, and I, I don't know how I, I feel unbruised. I don't have that kind of like sickening feeling that I would have either before, after between waking up and going to La Bagel Delight 10 years ago, or the sickening feeling I generally have whenever I tweet more than one thing. Right. I just appreciated the fact that we had just gotten done with WandaVision and you yeah. and you were like, you know what? I did I do need to engage more with social media. <laughs> um speaking of well, WandaVision, I thought we could get into oh, do you have any more bagel thoughts you want to drop? No, I, I think we should keep this but I mean, listen, if people want bagel talk. I'm a veil for it on this podcast, but that's look. It's a very. Div- okay. I I think it's a very divisive moment in the in TV where you know, without Wanda, without like a couple like, there's not a lot mm-hmm. of like, oh, this is the one show everyone's talking about. So bagels are something I think a lot of people have opinions about. It's just it's just as much of a monocultural topic as as the Maybe MCU. In a way, Chris, bagels were my olive branch. By the way, don't make an olive bagel. That's disgusting. <laughs> oh my god! In the sense that, what I was trying to say was. They're good. Mm-hmm. That's all I was trying to say. So it, it may be reread those tweets. I won't, but maybe reread them and replace words like California bagel with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Sure. You know sure. what I mean? And replace the words uh, bagel hole on 7th Avenue with uh, Russell Davies. It's a sin. And see how that works out and what kind of trouble I'm in after that. We got this uh, question. We have a bunch of questions from our Facebook group that I wanted to pepper you with, but we got one from Michael Lee that said, how are you guys feeling knowing that this is the last moment in your TV watching lives that there won't be a Star Wars or Marvel show being perpetually released by Disney Plus? Is that true? 
This is the uh, this is the interregnum. I'm sure that there will be. I think that there's going to be a longer break between mm-hmm. Falcon and Winter Soldier and Loki. But I think in that interim, there is a animated Star Wars show on Bad Batch. So right. I think that generally speaking is right. I don't know that we would have really any takes on Bad Batch anyway, just because isn't that like also a spinoff of Clone Wars? I think so. So yeah, I I, I, I got nothing for you on that one, but. Um, I was curious whether how you've been filling your time. I mean, I don't know necessarily that um, we will talk about Falcon and Winter Soldier in the granular detail that we talked about WandaVision. I definitely plan to talk about at least most of the episodes in some way or shape or form, but everything that I've seen from the promotional materials of that mm-hmm. show make me feel like that's going to be closer to a buddy action movie stretched out over several episodes than it is going to be this you know, nesting doll of, of, uh, of info. Yeah. I think that it, that's going to, you know, uh, like basically like prompt fan theories and, and, and in furious online debate. Yeah. I think it, 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 all of this ends up going back to, I mean, any tweet or any conversation about WandaVision or about Marvel stuff in general seems to be met with a version of no, you're you're making a mistake in the frame you're putting it in. It needs to be considered as this or as that. And there is a lot of hemming and hawing and throat clearing. And maybe some of that is is valid. I think Falcon and Winter Soldier, as as you just said, seems to be a lot more of what we're familiar with and probably a lot like the experience of a lot of people have had over the last year of maybe dipping back into Guardians of the Galaxy, but mm-hmm. pausing it when you fall asleep and picking it up again the next day. So it sort of by nature feels like it is going to be rejecting the discourse that we tried to at times very uncomfortably staple on top of WandaVision, which is more of a prestige television. What is this telling us and what is this showing us type of talk? Sure. Is that fair to either show? I'm not sure, but we're kind of figuring it out as we go. And I think that the way this shook out, we definitely, what, what, what shook out, what won out for us was more that I think we were it's not that we didn't respect the attempt with WandaVision. We were a little disappointed in its inability to transcend um, because it set itself up to for us, for many people to be asking those questions. This does not seem to be the case with Falcon and Winter Soldier. Maybe sure. we're wrong. No, I mean, I, be... there's a couple of things that are probably at play here. One is my, and this is where my personal interest lies. Um, there's a shot in one of the trailers for Falcon and the Winter Soldier and Winter Soldier where uh, Daniel Brühl's Zeno character is... Um, mm-hmm somberly staring at a monument to the um, people lost in the Sokovia tragedy. Yes. And uh, I'm not done with it. I'm not done. I, I'm sorry. And I guess you're not ready to have that conversation about, about what happened in Sokovia. But I personally am glad that, that this show is going to continue to uh, interrogate you know, the aftermath of, of what happened there. And then I think also, in all seriousness, there will be an element of this show that's about like who gets to be Captain America. And right. like what that means if Sam is to become Captain America, uh, some of the the issues surrounding race for the character and for the the mantle that he'd be inheriting. That's interesting. Yeah, and 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 worthwhile. And and we'll get into it more next week. But and I'm sure this will surprise no one. But one of the major benefits of having multiple decades of comic book stories, having worked a lot of this stuff out, not worked it up, but at least tried a lot of this stuff out, is that though it may boggle some people's minds to hear this, there is there, there are reams of established canon of the Captain America diaspora. Like, 
that dude was always, Steve Rogers, it's not just that sometimes he would become old or disappear or die or be a clone or whatever. He would sometimes just become disillusioned with Richard Nixon's America and hop on a motorcycle and drive away. And people would be like, well, now what do we do? And there would just be issues called Captain America <laughs> where people like, well, Bucky was dead then, but like people like the Wyatt, the, the character Wyatt Russell's playing or uh, pals like Sam Wilson Falcon or like yeah. this, his former villain named Diamondback, she'd be there and they'd be like, gosh, we need a Captain America. What does it mean? So like, there's a lot to draw on. This that is the this thing though. It's like, you know, with, with Thrones, for instance, there was that mm-hmm. one, you know, there was the central text that was unfinished mm-hmm. and then it became Benioff and Weiss's job to sort of execute against that on screen. Mm-hmm. And you could hypothesize a lot of, about what was going to happen on the show or how they were going to, you know, reflect the things that reflect the pages that Martin had written and that he had yet to write. And obviously Jason and Mal did an amazing job um, breaking that down. But with the comic book stuff, I mean, like they actually have an abundance of choice of where they're going to go with this stuff and they don't have to figure it out, quote unquote. They have to figure it out in so much as it relates to how long they have actors under contract and how long they feasibly want to play the role. But they have plenty of options for story. But, but, but that's also just circling back to the, the point I was trying to make last week, which is again and again, I think the more remarkable feats of the Marvel Cinematic Universe are feats of engineering and editing and selection uh, as much as they are creative feats. You know, when you have 19 possible Wanda Maximoff is messing with reality stories, the job becomes how do we pick the very best one of these or combine them into the very best version that will communicate an idea that was strong enough to propel decades worth of stories Mm -hmm. into the cerebellums and, uh, you know, and passion centers of a new audience who don't know all that. And that's, that is no small feat. It's incredibly hard. And that is what the, the, the old dream factory over there has gotten quite good at doing. And so we'll see what they choose. In the meantime, you know, as we're waiting for this to happen, uh, I've been keeping myself pretty busy watching stuff. So I, I did check out like the first episode of generation, which is on HBO max um, which I'm kind of like going to reserve judgment for a little bit because I think ensemble shows tend to need a couple of episodes to kind of come together a little bit. Um, and that is kind of in the vein of, of Euphoria and uh, Grand Army and a couple of other, you know, sort of, I would say, you know, edgy teen shows, edgy high school mm-hmm. shows right now. But in the meantime, I've also been like checking out a bunch of different stuff. I don't know if I've told you this, but I started watching SVU. Law and Order SVU? Law and Order SVU. I, you, I, you picked it up in season 20? So, yeah, no, I'm going backwards. No, <laughs> So I, I was reminded of this conversation that Fantasy had with Alex Ross Perry, where he was talking about how much he the loves filmmaker, SVU. Alex Ross Perry. Yes, yeah. and he was like, I adore SVU. And I realized I had never really watched it. So I was like sitting around last, a couple of nights ago, and I, it was on, like while I was watching, um, I think the NBA All-Star game, it was on another channel. So I would flip, to SVU while the All-Star game was in commercial break. And I was actually gripped by it. I think the episode that I was watching had Scott Porter from Friday Night Lights on it. And I was like, oh, I'm I'm all in. But this keeps stopping every five minutes for six minutes of erectile dysfunction ads. So I was mm-hmm. like, I'm going to go find this on a streaming service. So I started watching it. And then uh, my wife, Phoebe, and I got really into watching them this week. I kind of was under the impression, though, that Law & Order SVU was like, a very like somber show. Like obviously the subject matter would suggest it is, 
But mm-hmm. the first episode that we watched uh, after after the Scott Porter one was an episode from season eleven that starred Rosie Perez mm-hmm. as a woman. I'm not going to get into the the pedophile ring element of the of the episode. It's it's implied. <laughs> it's implied. But the first scene, in the first scene, a ten year old boy kicks Christopher Maloney in the balls, and Christopher Maloney practically looks at the camera and says the line. I guess that's why they call it special victims. No. Yes. And like that happens like once an episode. There's or like 10 times an episode. There's like this droll one liner about it. But I've really been enjoying that. I cannot believe when you go through like I've just been watching season 11 because it's critically supposed to be one of the best seasons. I've already seen Mahershala Ali, Rosie Perez, Scott Porter, Scott Foley. Um, Who else have I seen? Any other Scots? I'm waiting for Scott Speedman. I don't know what he was doing. Must have been like Underworld Rise of Rise of the Lichens or something like that. Scott <laughs> um, Glenn, maybe? Yeah, I don't know. He, he was getting ready for Daredevil. Uh, have you ever watched SVU? Have you ever watched any of the, the Dick Wolf Empire shows? Not for 25 years. You know, they, they, there was a... It's interesting. There There was a class of shows that, that I'm sure there are actually other shows in this class. Maybe it's just the Dick Wolf shows where we all were the special victims of watching them or maybe the beneficiaries because not only were they just so consistently on NBC, but they were constantly on like TNT, right? When, yeah, or USA and generally around like sporting events, they were on in every doctor's office I ever visited in New York. And so that's, just that's by- That's kind of a weird vibe. <laughs> it's, it's, well, it wasn't, it wasn't usually the special victim one, you know, like that might be a little too, uh, but no, but like, they were just constantly on. And and much like when I used to watch the Food Network, like when I kind of migrated away from just, quote unquote, turning on the TV, mm-hmm. those shows completely fell out of my life. But I still kind of have a lot of fondness for them, not just because I remember them well and their rhythms are as Dude, I, you know, reassuring and calming as like a multicam sitcom, but also they remain like the greatest employer of Broadway actors other than Broadway. I remember that the era in which you're referring to when those those pictures you you have is from is when mm-hmm. you first introduced me to Grey's Anatomy. I did. Yeah, you you and you I was and, patient zero. Yeah, you were like, this is the first couple of seasons of the show are really good. Wow. Yeah. So you you were used to be a little bit of a channel surfer. I liked I I, I like television. Who knew <laughs> where it would end up? But I did. I I used to really like it. Um, but what you're saying to me is interesting because I didn't understand that Law & Order, you're saying like season 11 is good. Is that because it has like a, a lot of really good episodes or there's a serialized element to it? No, I think the serialization happens after Stabler leaves, like after Christopher Maloney's character leaves. And I, I bring this all up to mention that I think uh, it's this week or next week. He he's comes back, back, baby. And he's in, starring in his own show, Law & Order Organized Crime, which I'm actually yes. curious about because I love, I love, you, you know, I organized crime is my favorite you kind love of crime. All four <laughs> words in that title. Passionate about law and order, intrigued by organized crime. Um, I do have a couple more questions I want to go through can, here. Can I uh, say, can I just make a suggestion that Christopher Maloney, using the other half of his very impressive performance acumen, uh, the kind that we saw in Wet Hot American Summer, mm-hmm. starring in a spin-off of the spin-off, disorganized crime would be incredible. There was a like an 80s comedy called Disorganized Crime, I think. I'm into it. Um, it, 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 it is interesting. I'm curious about that. Sorry to, to stay on it, but Law & Order is, along with like the Chuck Lorre sitcom factory, like maybe the ultimate 
it's definitely not broken. Why are you insane and trying to fix it of TV? I mean, it is just, they're like pop songs. Everyone understands in their bones and in their nervous systems how this is supposed to function. And it's very, very uh, satisfying. And it's high quality. When I hear that they're doing a specific spinoff show and it's for Peacock Organized Crime, like, are they going to try to get a little prestige mixed in? Maybe. Like, are they trying to upstream this stuff in a way that, doesn't make much sense. I mean, it, it, it's so, I think one of the under-remarked upon stories was during the last decade when broadcast TV was just in a frenzy trying to stay relevant, trying to hold on to its eroding audience. And for a number of years, instead of trying, like pre-2015, I would say for sure, instead of trying to, you know, circle back and do what it does best, it was trying to compete with cable mm-hmm. and 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 getting fancier or, or racier or more serialized, you know. And that was the time when a year before it was going to pass Gunsmoke, I think, to become the longest running drama in history, NBC canceled Law and Order, yeah. the original one, the mothership, which infuriated Dick Wolf and 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 how many years later before he started making these Chicago shows? Right. And single-handedly, this is the thing that Bob Greenblatt did so so well, I, I give him credit for, even though I wrote a lot of critical columns at the time, was basically like, we're bringing it all the way back. You know what I mean? We're doing the Jack Donaghy thing. We're making it 1997 again by Science or Magic, and we're just going to put these shows all across our lineup and stabilize it because people still want this, right? The moment when they tried to change it almost dropped the one thing that was keeping them relevant was is, a, is kind of a fascinating moment. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. One thing you don't have to worry about cleaning up this spring season, your wireless bill. Just switch to Mint Mobile. It's easy. And right now they have unlimited talk, text, and data plans for $15 a month when you buy a three-month plan. To get this new customer offer, go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required equivalent to $15 a month for first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. It's hard not to add a side of hot, crispy hash browns to your favorite McDonald's breakfast. It's even harder not to eat said hash browns before you get home. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. No matter what you're looking for in a non-alcoholic beer, there's only one name that has it all. Athletic Brewing Co. Full flavor? It's athletic. Huge variety? It's athletic. Award-winning styles you can get online, at the bar, or the grocery store? It's athletic. In fact, when it comes to amazing non-alcoholic beer, there's no question. It's athletic. Ask for it and find out. Go to askforathletic.com to find your closest retailer today. Near Beer. There's a couple of other Wanda-related uh, questions here, but I want to ask this one because it kind of goes off of what we're saying with kind of how we're filling our time, our screen time right now in between these big Marvel mm-hmm. shows and in between these these sort of 
water cooler shows. And it comes from Daniel Sharples, who says, what are the subjects, environments, locations, and locations that are not explored enough in television and film? What visual storytelling would you like to see that you haven't seen so much of yet? And uh, the reason I wanted to mention this is in relation to Beartown, just Mm -hmm. because, and I talked about this yesterday with uh, Katie Baker on TV Concierge, but I, I, I humbly submit that you could do a lot worse than to just have like five or six high school sports dramas going at any given time. I mean, yeah. and they do with the last chance you stuff and that's college, but you know what I mean? Like there's a lot of docudramas going, but Beartown is just so gripping partially because of the setting and because of like the specific way in which the story is being told. But also it's just like, I will watch a sports season. Like I will watch a hockey team and the drama around the players and the drama around the coach and the drama around the parents and the drama around the boosters. And, uh, it was kind of refreshing. I don't think I've watched a show like this that's kind of grabbed me in this way since Friday Night Lights. Well, you're making me more and more interested in watching it. Um, it's much more grim than Friday Night Lights, though. So all Landry murders is what you're saying. It's <laughs> Honestly, all season two Friday it is, Night Lights. It, it, it really, it's not as as far fetched, but it has. It's way closer to Landry murders than it is like Saracen Hail Marys. I I, I joked the other week about wanting. Feeling sad that we were robbed the Parts Unknown episode focused on the cuisine and culture of Sokovia. Mm-hmm. Um, but what isn't a joke and why we love loved Parts Unknown and shows of that nature is the specificity of place, right? And the attention to detail that is, you can't, it's hard to script. Mm-hmm. And sports, I mean, particularly in a place like, you know, in, in Texas, the Friday Night Lights, high school sports is such a great window into the culture and locale. Society, yeah. Society and feel of a place. And it it, it gives you, I mean, other than, I mean, one of the arguments for the detective show or movie or whatever novel is that the detective has access to upstairs and downstairs and all aspects of a society. And that's another window that provides the same kind of access. And you're kind of right. I mean, there are a lot of places that can, that are worthy of, having their stories told. And I think that what generally happens in Hollywood is instead of going from ground up from like, here's a place, now let's see what stories there are there. They start with the elevator pitch or the poster line or the tagline. You're talking about sports dramas and why there haven't been very many of them. The last one I can remember, I'm sure I'm missing a couple, but the last one I can remember was the Fox pilot pitch. You know, oh yeah. Which was about- it, that, that had a first season and that was beloved around the ringer. I didn't get a chance to really watch much of it, but I know that people really loved it. And I think it had an interesting hook on top of the baseball part, which was, I think, was the first professional, uh, first woman to pitch in professional baseball. And it was, mm-hmm. it was about her life and her struggles. And that's a very compelling character. Having not seen the show, I do not mean to specifically critique that show. But I do think that there is room to tell a story about a female professional athlete in a male-dominated sport if you kind of invert your storytelling lens, right, and tell the story about the team and the city and the place, and then you let stuff come to it. Sure. Right? I, it's just it, it's just not how things are built. Like, it's not a very sexy thing to say in a pitch meeting or whatever. Like, I'm going to tell the story of youth soccer in Akron or professional baseball in Baltimore or whatever the case may be. Right, right. But it seems, I mean, it, it's probably easier to sell it if you're in Scandinavia and there's only well, I one think there's also a not there's insignificant, there's a not insignificant element also of the 
cast of Beartown, I think, mm-hmm. are hockey players who are acting and not oh. actors who are pretending to play hockey. And are, so a lot are of the, the Bears, the, the team? No, it's Bjornstad is the name of the town. But it's Beartown. That's what that's what that is. And so it's uh it the you know, the bear awakens a lot. Oh, okay. I, I ask because post Harry Potter, my older daughter's reading this book series. I, I got her the first book of another series. Mainly she was excited about it because it there are 15 books in it because she, she really likes the, the the breadth of these things. But it was called like Wings of Fire. It's like dragons. I'm like, cool, she likes fantasy stuff. And she's reading, she's telling me about it. She's telling me about like ice dragons and sand dragons and like mud dragons and all this stuff. And I'm like, cool. Like, so who who rides these dragons? Like who tames these dragons? She's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, you said someone named Clay. Like, what's the story of Clay? She's like, Clay is the sand dragonette that was prophesied. I'm like, excuse me? And he's just chatting? So all of the people in this book are dragons, which, so you keep saying bear town, Forgive you think, me. You just think it's bears playing hockey? Yes, which <laughs> sounds very expensive. Yes. But you know that if it gets remade in America, it's going to be like, what if there were bears? <laughs> yeah. The first professional bear to play in an all-human league. But tell me this. Is this a generational thing? Is this an age thing? Or is this just us? Because like, as soon as she told me that there are no people, I'm kind of out. I'm out. I'm out of yeah, the Wings of no, Fire series. I, I I can't rock with that. I need I need to have a, a dragon rider. I can't just I, I can't put myself right. in the mindset of a dragon. She, she no disrespect to Tweet Sutherland, very successful writer. Or to your own child. No disrespect to my child, child. who loves yeah. it. But yeah. she was just like, oh, I think there's some people, but they're like scavengers. You know what I mean? Like in the background. I was like, oh, oh. And I was like <laughs> leaned in close. I'm like, I bet by I bet by like book eight. Like one of the scavengers will join the tribe. You know what I mean? And then I'm like flipping, I'm like looking at Wikipedia and they're like, it's nope. There's no people. <laughs> I think they get stepped on and eaten. Straight dragons. It's just straight, straight dragons. So maybe it's a failure of imagination on my part not to want to watch the, the bears play hockey and solve murders. Have you been, have you been busying yourself watching anything this week? I've talked about SVU and Beartown and Generation. What about you? You've, you've thrown down the gauntlet. Yeah, they're called um, thrown. I think the, I, you, you should talk a little bit about your Parisian boys. I am. I, so I want to talk a little bit about a show that I, I hope, I, I'm sure some of our listeners have already discovered. Um, they have. But I, I, I think that we should it's get into this. It's frequently brought to our attention that we are, we are <laughs> idiots for not having already talked about this show. You mean Chernobyl? <laughs> I'm interested in Chernobyl if it was a bear that tripped the wrong switch. You know what I mean? It's a metaphor, the Russian bear. We can't rule it out. We haven't seen the show. That's true. Wow. They're like, who among you did it? Like, was it you, Comrade Sergei? And the guy's like, no. Was it you, Comrade? I don't know how to say bear in Russian. I don't know why my bear imitation also sounds like a guy doing deadlifts. Honestly, it sounded not dissimilar to your Al Pacino as Mephisto imitation from last week. And I thought you were trying to get a callback. Yeah, Pacino plays the bear who... I didn't know that the thermonuclear core was it going has to be cool. Was cold. I don't know, I've made him Larry David kind of. Okay. Um, right. So, but I want to talk about the show to get people hype on it because I want, I'm kind of hype. It's not exactly a hype show, but it is a slow percolating hype. It's called Le Bureau. Yes. Which, fun fact, the second French show called Le Bureau, because as all our Francophiles know, that just literally means the office. And there was a French version of The Office that lasted six episodes. 
And then 10 years later, they were like, was it a limited series or did it get canceled? No, they did the same thing. I think it was kind of like that when the format was sold around the world, I wonder if a lot of, I don't know whether it was uh, contractually this way or if it was just suggested, but all of them seem to have, including the American one, basically done the first season of the British show with some tweaks as their first five or six episodes. Uh, It did not work in France because I, I feel like the mundanity of office work just didn't really land there because everyone there leaves office at 2 p.m. to start drinking wine and have little coffees, you know? At least judging even by the bureau, where the bureau, where like the people are the have this most stressful jobs of literally anyone in France, but still have time to just go to fancy hotels every night for dramatic assignations. Anyway, it is, is it fair to say like this is kind of French homeland in a way in that it, it takes it some seems of the to be. kind I've of, only watched the first one, but yes. It takes some of the, like the global espionage uh, boxes and and certainly like the the tensions between the West and a lot, lot uh, of tradecraft, but it is v- extremely extremely honed in on on the craft in a way that is really fun. It ultimately it can be I, I can imagine it's kind of a slow hang at first because basically the episodes do not have a, a familiar rise and fall. It's more like they they accumulate. So mm-hmm. I'm about five episodes into the first season. Are you, are you watching it on Amazon? I'm watching it on, uh, I think I'm watching it on AMC Plus. Right. They have a deal with Amazon where you can watch through there. I understand. So AMC Plus, yeah. And, Quite literally. Uh, yes, in this case. And the show, by the way, comes from our friends at Canal Plus, the original studio <laughs> yeah. of this absurd joke. OG Pluses. And it kind of envelops you in a really cool way. So it's basically about a, a, the, the great French actor and filmmaker Matthew Kasovitz plays a uh, high-ranking intelligence officer who has just finished six years undercover in Damascus, where he uh, got a lot of information, but also had a love affair with a That's woman the there. other reason why I'm not acknowledging those younger photos of me, because I was, I was undercover at the time. Can we, can we circle back to this? I, I wondered about this. Uh, I was thinking, I'll get back to the plot in a second. One of the things that this show really drills down on is something that anyone who's read Le Carre is familiar with, and that's one of the reasons why I love it, which is basically the kind of, the art and artifice of actual spycraft. Uh, one of which is your ident- your fake identity, you have to believe in completely as mm-hmm. a person who exists, who is the, they, there's, they use a metaphor in one episode, is like, is the windshield between you and uh, the dangers that could come at you. But also the way you make it believable is you tell as much truth as you can. Mm-hmm. So our main character, played by Matthew Kasovitz, when he was in Damascus, spoke of his ex-wife and a daughter. He changed their names, but he does have an ex-wife and a daughter. So it wasn't hard for him to perform the role of someone who had sure. those, those people in his life. And there's a big scene when one of the other main characters, a woman named Marina, who is beginning her sort of infiltration of, in this case, Iran, and, and beginning her journey, which I imagine will continue over the next few seasons, in a very tense moment just drops this outrageously intense story, which is later you find out is true. And I was wondering, Chris, I, you know, everyone knows you are a 360 degree, just, you know, red light player, um, head on a swivel at all times. Do you think though, being a professional podcaster may, has made your spy craft better? Because I think that one thing that we've definitely established in nine years of doing this podcast is we could just talk about stuff. <laughs> we can just look what we're doing today, for God's sake. This entire thing is a psyop. Right. Do you think that you would be able to, like in the moment when you are in the sedan with the Iranian nuclear physicist or whatever, just pull something from yourself to keep the con alive? 
Yeah, I mean, in that at that point, that's probably where I would fall back on my uh, skills as an ad reader and just start offering this person oh. like you know a week <laughs> free of Paramount Plus. Do you? Wait, that's that's incredible. Do you? Th- I think it would be weird if you were like. I mean, if you everyone likes to talk TV, I think that is the universal thing. Yeah, sure. Any conversation, whether it's with an but old if friend. Imagine if like you know, I'm, I get caught by like the Iranian Secret Service and I just pull yeah. out nobody out pizzas the hut. No, but that's my point. Like, what if you just started talking about the wonders of like Casper mattresses that could be delivered to your home? That would be a giveaway. You know what I mean? That wouldn't be helpful. That wouldn't just be small talk. So, anyway, it is a it is worth getting into. Maybe we'll check back if 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 you make it through the first season. It is kind of how many have you watched so far? Five. You watched five, five episodes. Yeah, there's five seasons, ten episodes each. It is very kind of classy and understated, and really about as Chris said all about the process, but it, I'm really interested to see as it steers towards the back half of the season, how it plays with, with, uh, you know, with dramatic build and anticipation and what we're headed towards. The other reason to watch the show, and I think we may have alluded to this before, but I just find it to be the, maybe the most interesting You, you are so jazzed story. on this. I like this though. This is so crazy. And I may be getting it slightly wrong, the details, but so the guy who created the show is a filmmaker named Eric Roshan. And he sort of came up in, He's a you know generationally peers with a lot of great French filmmakers, and uh, in some ways, like switching to TV was surprising, I guess. But the first season was a sensation in France. This is five years ago. The show premiered in 2015. Matthew Kasovitz is a big deal. As the show gained an acclaim, he was able to get, and maybe this is we shouldn't be surprised about this because we've also watched Call My Agent, major major French stars to just like hop on for season long arcs or more, like Matthew Almerich shows up at the end of seasons four and five. He's a, if you, you know, if you've seen like Olivier Assayas' movies, he's a, he's a big actor in those movies. And then he got to the end, mm-hmm. right? So he had always, I guess, imagined five seasons worth of story. And so he got to season four, episode eight, and was like, I'm done. This is it. <laughs> this is like, I'm done with all the stories I want to tell with these characters that I've carefully constructed in this world that I've built over the last... Uh, you know, five plus professional years of my life. And so what I would like to do now is invite my old friend, my old chum from the film world, uh, Jacques Audriard, filmmaker of A Prophet and some considered by some to be the best filmmaker in France. And I would like him to finish my show. And then he went on vacation. He said, you could do anything you want. Just write and direct the last two episodes of the show. I I can't. I honestly sincerely hope that this is what they do with Grays. They just bring Soderbergh in. And make Grey's yes. into, the, into the Nick. Dude, any combination is fascinating. I mean, it, it is so revolutionary and also so audacious. And it makes me break out in hives just thinking about it. The level of confidence uh, in what you've done already is the thing I think that, that makes it crazy. Because he understood and trusted in this idea that his work in many ways already what was done. You, you, you There's almost no way to win with a finale, as we've talked about, right? Like it's... It, it, it's almost a fool's errand to chase it because you've the work you've done is going to be measured against it no matter what. And fundamentally to TV, answering questions is never as much fun or interesting as asking them. And he asked all the right questions and then he just pieced out and said, Jacques, you take the keys to the Renault. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think that's so wild. And my only follow-up is, who are we giving this podcast to for its final episode? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, I guess technically it should be Bill, but like, who would you have? Would you have like 
Rogan do it? Well, let's reverse engineer it because I don't know if it, people who were back who were around during the Hollywood no, prospectus days Jacobi. might know. Shouldn't it be Jacoby? That's what I was about to say. Yeah. I was about to say people might not remember this or know this, but the person who created this podcast for us, I mean, this podcast existed as what we did right. all the time anyway, but it was our old friend, David Jacoby, now host of Jalen and Jacoby on the various ESPN networks, who was like, and I, 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 I get a little teary when I think about this. I believe he said, you guys are friends, right? I mean, those are powerful words, powerful <laughs> words that led us to where we are today. So I think Jacoby should come on, but I don't know who his sparring partner would be for the last episode. Kaya? Jacoby and Kaya? Or is Kaya, are you asking Kaya who it should be? No, I'm saying should it be Jacoby and Kaya? Or should we just do give it to Kaya? Like, would Kaya, would the last few episodes of The Watch just be Kaya's, like, unreleased notes? Score settling. <laughs> if Kaya um, just... Kaya, do you keep a list of everything that we've just gotten wrong? Not just like factually wrong, like I may have done about the finale of Le Bureau, but like very wrong opinions? Yeah, I do. And I've been angling this whole time just mm-hmm. to take over the watch. <laughs> it's a dream come true. What's it's great a long is game, it's, but I'm fine. I'm going to look for the long run. What I love about it is that it's both like uh, sneaky and worrisome that that might be true, but also you 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 put just the right level of disdain into the way you phrased I'm looking forward to taking over the watch, which suggested that it's not really worth it. (laughs) I I support this. I think it's going to be great. Anyway, watch La Bureau. It's a really cool spy show, and we'll talk about it later. So there are a couple of uh, personal admin questions in here. Obviously, like a lot of people in the Facebook uh, thread wanted you to explain your bagel takes. We got to that. No, they didn't. Yeah. They did? Yeah. Uh, Someone asked uh, why I shaved my mustache. It was uh, an impulsive decision. Um, I also want to see if I can just grow it back. I had it in my mind kind of been like I was going to get it after I got the vaccine, but you know, I'm still waiting for that, but we'll, we'll figure it out. Like, I think I saw myself on a couple of zoom calls with people I didn't already know, like in meetings and Spotify meetings and stuff like that. And I was just like, they don't know that this is kind of my, my bit, you know, like, (laughs) wait, I'm so happy you talked about this because the reason why I have also given up any, even just like we're having a laugh here with facial right. hair is because if you have to explain it, it's not worth it. And I found myself back in the the heady beard days of February. Sure. About to go on a Zoom with someone who I had not seen in two and a half years. And I was a mess. I was like, do I lead with it? Do I apologize for it? And nobody cares. Right. Nobody, nobody, this nobody guy, actually cares. Like no one's ever been like, you have something on your lip. Like it's, it's literally like nobody could give a shit. But, but Chris, it matters to you because if you fundamentally, when you close your eyes and you think about yourself, you're like, I am not a mustache guy. No, that's not true. I do Thinking. think that I am a mustache guy. I just think that I have not found the right concoction to make it grow. <laughs> um, uh, some other like, folks a- like wanted Alice to- in Wonderland style. Maybe you should go back to the Miller High Lifes. Some, uh, there's another question in here about whether or not I got a cat. I did not. Uh, you know, It's not just that, Chris. People thought maybe you were just, that was just marketing talk. That you weren't seriously considering. Because wasn't there like an ad Like I was appealing to Big Purina? Like I was trying to get sponsored. (laughs) That maybe if you just (laughs) ate the right flavor of Meow Mix, the The mustache would... The face of Fancy Feast? (laughs) There is a whiskers overlap here that we could get into. No, but but that maybe you were just... Wasn't there there an ad read about like... Oh yeah, there was like an ad read. But like, I mean, I'm sincere in all my ad reads. And so I was sincerely like, I'm thinking about getting a cat. We got close... I had like a cat in mind. Uh, we didn't know that we had to kind of call dibs on the cat. 
So like you mean, went you, mean home. you saw a cat like at a shelter. We or went whatever. to a shelter. I bonded with this cat, and then I we went home and we was like, okay, we'll give it, we'll sleep on it. And then the next day they were like, P.S. Like that cat got got like the cat Chris, got adopted. Did I you adopt say, a cat? This is the longest con. Guess what, Chris? I'd like you to meet <laughs> Mister Mister Ruffles. <laughs> like Mister, yeah, no, I'm. I, if only I was able to call up the like the cruelest name I could give it of something that you clearly don't like, but I force you to talk about. Well, uh, I got the cat, Chris, so I hope you're happy. Yeah. Well, as long as I found a good home. I, Sam Rosenbaum asked an interesting question that we actually never talk about stuff like this. And that's like sort of the more holistic universal user experience of being mm. a content freak. And Sam's question is, what are your ergonomics related best practices for the age of drinking content from a fire hose? Neck pain is real when you have so many screens to look at. I was just wondering, do you have like a, I need to, like if I'm watching a show, it needs Mm. to be on the big screen with the couch, with the phone out of arm's distance. Or are you ever like, I'll throw it on on the laptop and like if it's in, you know, occasionally you'll see me clicking to another tab. No, I mean, if it's a, there are a couple, when I was full-time critic, I would only I would get screener links and basically could only watch them on my laptop. Mm-hmm. And I do think that sometimes my perception of shows suffered because of that, because it wasn't optimal or it was like super dark or whatever. Also, the experience does suffer. You know, there are certain shows where like uh, I, I am not above like uh, blitzing through a Mandalorian here at my desk on my computer before we record. If I wasn't able to get to it over the weekend, sure, because it's entertaining or whatever, and I'm not that worried about about focus. But generally, yeah, it has to be on the TV. Art, we only have the one TV. Couch helps. Interesting. I will. Very, yeah. I will watch rewatchables movies on my computer so that I can pause them and take notes for the actual show that we're doing. Uh huh. Um, and again, like you, I'm not above like Friday at 10 a.m. knocking out Wanda or Mandalorian you know, or something like that on my computer screen. Although when I watched those shows in a more optimal circumstance, and I know that I sound like a weirdo when I'm like, why aren't these shows on at night? You know, like they are on at night. And when I have like, kind of like waited for a more of a primetime atmosphere to watch them, I think my enjoyment level has gone up. There's something just off about watching a show at 10 AM and you're with like the gray sun coming through your, your windows that just isn't like it's showtime folks. I agree. I think that's a really good point to make because, for example, there's a show like Mr. Mayor, the the NBC comedy with Ted Danson, the Tina Fey, Carlock show. Yeah. I really like it, even though it's batting about, I don't know, 600, which is good for baseball, but maybe not so good in a TV landscape like ours. But I really enjoy it. I think it's getting better. I think part of my enjoyment is the fact that that is, at the moment, the one for me, the free one. You know, we don't really talk about it because it's just a 20-minute comedy. And I don't watch it at my desk. I don't have to take notes. And the whole experience is so pleasant that I look forward to it. And I think that during Mandalorian, that was revealed to me as well. Like, there was one weekend when everything lined up. And I had, like, a... Did that show premiere? When did they drop that? Is that the Thursday night thing like WandaVision did? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, they were right, going... So, I think there was a couple of Mandalorians maybe in the first season that would be, like... If I remember correctly, they they did not stick to a set time when they would go up on Thursday right. night. Like sometimes it would be like it's up at 10 p.m. Pacific, and sometimes it was midnight. Well, there was a there was a Friday when the the, the many clouds covering the multiple suns on Tatooine par, uh, parted, and like at a Friday night, and I had a nice 38 minute window or whatever, and I watched it on my couch at the end of a week. And I definitely do think 
I enjoy that episode more than other episodes that season. Because it didn't yeah. have any any strings attached and it was in the right, I was in the right frame of mind and I was in the right room. The other thing I would just say is just by, like how the influx of uh, foreign shows that I've been watching mm-hmm. has fully like kind of shattered my brain about subtitles to the extent now where it's pretty much only sitcoms that I don't have them on for. And I know that sounds crazy, but it, it's wow. just, yeah, like I, I would rather not. I would, I would rather, and I, I try to turn them Yet off. Yet another thing that you have in common with my dad. Amazing. <laughs> um, we have a bunch of other questions, but I think I'll save them for maybe next Thursday's show. Or I, for- I, I, sorry to interrupt, Chris. I did want to say, I thought that um, when you were mentioning subtitles, that we were going to have a, a moment to just celebrate the fact that Borganese, which is our observation that in European language shows, maybe all foreign language shows, there are certain phrases that must be wedged into the conversation in hey, heavily hey, accented right, English. Yeah. <laughs> I'm watching Le Bureau, beautiful French spoken, love to hear it. And all of a sudden, like in episode four, the director of France's version of the CAA is like, something, 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 inside joke. <laughs> I was like, excuse me? There's also an incredible, like, not fourth wall, like sixth wall breaking scene where our main guy and his uh, Syrian lover are having some I mean, red wine, of course. Of course. And they're speaking French. And then one of her associates arrives to speak to them and immediately starts speaking English. Uh-huh. Which really took me out. Because also, Kasovitz, super cool guy, very controlled performance. But as soon as he starts speaking English, his voice goes up three octaves. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I don't trust this guy at all. But then he's like, in English, he's like, so you you were in Syria. Do you speak some Arabic? And then he switches into, flaw, to my ears, is flawless, flawless Arabic. Arab. It's yeah, probably I mean, not. and you've and got I'm like, like oh, a, thank. a note perfect ear. Yeah, yeah. But there's a facility between the languages that I really respect and enjoy uh, that is certainly not present in your average American drama series. Um, let's wrap it up there because we do have some other questions, but I think they might be fun to actually kind of like pour into the Falcon and Winter Soldier conversations that I'm sure we'll be having over the next couple of weeks. So all the Wanda stuff, I'm going to try and like save for that. And then there's a bunch of other stuff that we can save for the next mailbag. So I really appreciate people responding on what was actually a short notice prompt. Uh, Andy, it was great to see you. Thanks for supporting me during my trying Twitter times. I know I, I know, I scared everybody, but I'm back. I'm back. They've taken the codes away from me. Banned in the no USA. Logins. Everybody have a good weekend. Great weekend for Anskis. <laughs>